I want to encourage you, if you would, to please open your Bibles to the 23rd Psalm. We've started a series working through this very familiar passage verse by verse, so I encourage you, if you have a copy of God's Word with you, to please open to Psalm 23. As always, I thank you for your prayers. Uh, the question I've been asked the most is, has the, uh, uh, my grandbaby arrived yet? Not yet. Uh, I've joked he is just warm and comfortable and is in no hurry. Uh, so, in uh, God's timing, but everybody's doing well. would ask you to pray uh, specifically for Emma. We found Friday in an x-ray some small spots of pneumonia in her left lung. We started some treatment antibiotics for that. And the doctor said he believes that we've caught it early. So just pray that uh, the Lord will just take that pneumonia away, that it'll be gone. Otherwise, she's been doing very well in therapy. Uh, her responses have been great, so therapy-wise, been very, very encouraged in those regards. As I dove into Psalm 23 and in studying each week, I'm just reminded of the, the great power of God's Word. And looking at this passage in particular, I'm reminded of how God has used these words penned by King David to encourage his people over two millennia, over three millennial, millennia actually. One such story I came across happened in January of 1681 in Scotland. Now at this time in Scotland, uh, Roman Catholicism was the official state religion and to worship in any way outside of the Roman Catholic Church was punishable. Not just punishable, but could often lead to your death. But there were some very brave bold men and women who stood firm on the gospel and refused to succumb to the pressures to recognize the authority of the Pope or of any church other than the gospel. Two such people were ladies by the name of Isabel Allison and Marion Harvey. They were arrested for unlawful worship. They were worshiping Jesus in a field. They were arrested, imprisoned, and sentenced to death by hanging. On that cold January morning in Edinburgh, the executioner and those accompanying the executioner came and locked the cell to lead them to the gallows. At that moment, a curate who is an official in the Roman Catholic Church began speaking and quoting scripture to which Isabel looked at Marion and said, Marion, you know, we haven't listened to anything the Roman Catholic Church has said, so I don't think we should start now. Would you please join me and let's just start singing the 23rd Psalm. And so these two ladies started this, this duet singing, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, as they marched to their death at the gallows. Oh my goodness. What courage and what power the scripture has because those who witnessed that remarked about the peace of God that was very present at that moment. So I want to ask you to join with me in reading this passage up on the screens. And let's read together. I'll start us. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. 
Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Bow with me and let's pray. Father, I thank you for the truth of your word. We live in a world where things change rapidly. So, Father, we thank you that you do not change. And the truth of these words echoes throughout eternity. So, Father, I pray this morning we would hear that. We would hear you. Father, I pray for the anointing of your Holy Spirit upon this service. I pray, Father, that we will hear these familiar words in a fresh way and that as we focus on one passage of it, our hearts would be fed. I pray that our minds would be just expanded to see the majesty of who you are. And Lord, that we would be brought to worship you with a renewed passion and commitment. So Father, I pray that we would not look at these as just as beautiful words. But I pray, Father, we would live daily in the experience of these truths. And I pray this confidently in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And the church said... Amen. Amen. Well, Psalm 23 begins with this emphasis by reminding us of who God is. That is in verse 1. David, drawing upon his experience and what is familiar with him, looks and he says, using this very familiar analogy, the Lord is my shepherd. So we start out by being reminded of who God is. But what we see next is not only who God is, but the result of that. Because God is our shepherd, guess what? You and I don't have to live in want. We can know satisfaction, contentment. But now in verse 2, David begins a change. He doesn't just talk about who God is. He moves from there to talk about what God does. So what does God do as our shepherd? He makes us lie down. He leads. That's what a shepherd does. He guides his flock. And notice where he is guiding us. Green pastures. Still waters. This agrarian setting is meant to convey an image of rest. Serenity. Some of the very things that we long for. And I want you to think for just a moment. Where is it that you truly feel serene? At rest. Is it waking up before everyone else when you're able to have that cup of coffee before everyone else is awake? And guess what? It's quiet in the house. Can I get a witness? I talk with deer hunters and it, it amazes me. One common thread that I hear from deer hunters is that often it's not really about shooting an animal. Many of them talk about the peace they experience in the deer stand. When it's quiet, and it's just them. Serenity. See, when he talks about rest, it's not the idea of physical rest, but being at ease. It's talking about that, that idea that was captured so poignantly by Horatio Spatford in that familiar hymn, It is well with my soul. You see, this promise doesn't mean that we will be free from circumstances that are difficult and hard. But it means in the midst of those, we can know a serenity, a peace, a calmness that is otherworldly. The words are very, very rich. Notice these pastures are green pastures. They're lush, verdant, overflowing. 
A sheep would look at it and go, yes, no worries for food here. It's a place that is free from predators. Notice the waters are still. These are not the raging waters of chaos. This is not a, a loud roar of a, a river like the Mississippi or the Colorado. This is a, a stream. A spring of cold water. That invites you just to stop, take off your socks and shoes and put your feet in and rest. These images communicate beauty. Well-being. Serenity calm and isn't there something within us that in the midst of the busyness of life we long for that some days I have to confess I feel like a, a parakeet by the name of Chippy I read Chippy's story years ago and it's always resonated with me because I thought man me and a parakeet have something in common you see Chippy was minding his own business he was just in his cage doing what parakeets do when Chippy's owner was cleaning the house around Chippy's cage and by accident had taken one of the attachments off the vacuum cleaner and leaned over to pick up something with her right hand with the vacuum cleaner in the left hand. The left hand got near Chippy's cage and before you know it, whoosh, Chippy was gone. The owner looked up and noticed there was no chir chirping, nothing going on and suddenly put two and two together. Chippy has been sucked in the vacuum cleaner so she opens up the vacuum cleaner, gets the bag out, rips it open and sure enough there's Chippy covered in dust. Chippy already has a look of shock on his face, so she, without thinking, grabs Chippy, runs into the kitchen, turns on the faucet, and sticks Chippy under the water to clean the dirt and the grime off of Chippy. Well, she recognizes this is not a parakeet's natural state. So she does the next thing. She goes upstairs and gets a hairdryer to dry Chippy off. Chippy survived. However, the owner said, Chippy doesn't really sing a whole lot anymore. He just kind of sits in his cage and stares. I empathize with Chippy. There's not one of us in here that haven't had that experience of being maybe sucked up, washed over, and blown away. That's why we long for this. Our souls were made to hunger for something more than just the, the busyness of life. These images that are used in verse 2 of green pastures and still waters are not just found in Psalm 23. They're found throughout the scripture. And they're often found in talking about the new heaven and the new earth. Looking forward as a place of green pastures where these longings will find their ultimate fulfillment. The prophets Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Zephaniah all use this image of a green pasture. In fact, they say God's judgment will come against the ungodly, but God's people will be in pasture. Revelation picks up on this image. Hear these words. Revelation 7, 17. It says, for the lamb is in, their, in the midst of the throne. The lamb will be their shepherd. Those words shouldn't shock us. Jesus already said in John 10, I am the good shepherd, but now the lamb is also the shepherd. And guess what? Revelation 7 says, He will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Don't just long for that. 
The day when suffering will be done, tears wiped away, where we will know calmness and serenity. When I think of this image, I go back to that famous gospel psalm by the the Mavis Staple and her brothers where it says, I know a place, you all. Ain't nobody crying there. Ain't nobody worried. Ain't no smiling faces lying to the races. Oh, I know a place and I'll take you there. I hope you know that place is real. And the good news is this. You and I don't just have to wait for one day to experience green pastures and still waters. We can experience bits, pieces, times of that even now. And this is why. Ultimately, the pasture that we long for is God Himself. That's what's being communicated. God will lead us into Himself. If on the screen, you'll see Jeremiah 50, verses 6 through 7. You'll see this image of sheep come up again. My people have been lost sheep. Isn't it amazing? Jesus talks in parables about how he's the shepherd that finds the lost sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray, turning them away on the mountains. For a mountain to heal they have gone. They have forgotten their fold. All who found them have devoured them. And their enemies have said, we're not guilty, for they sinned against the Lord. Now, look at the next phrase describing who God is. Their habitation of righteousness. That word habitation is the same word for pasture. God is the pasture of their righteousness. The Lord, the hope of their fathers. I believe this points to the truth that God is ultimately the one who is the supply of the calmness, peace, and the serenity that we long for. And if God is infinite, which He is... That means what He gives, His characteristics are also infinite. That means that we will never run out of the peace, joy, love that we hunger for. It's all found in the Lord. And because we are in a relationship with Him now, we can experience that foretaste of glory. Believer, you can experience a taste of what heaven will be like in who God is and through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The issue is, how can we know we will experience this? Well, we have the promise of God right now. We also know that God has supplied everything we need to experience it. He is the shepherd making us to lie down. It's my understanding sheep need three things to feel secure in a pasture. To really enjoy it. And I want you to see these are three things that you and I need. And three things that God has provided. First is this, sheep need to be free from fear. A fearful sheep will not enjoy the fullness of the field. A sheep that is anxious will not be able to really experience the serenity to where the shepherd has led him or her. You and I know deep down that fear will consume us. Fear will fill our days with worry and our nights with anxiety. And there's no shortage of things that will feed upon our our proclivity toward fear. You and I are often prone to that, to worry, because we think of this sentence, what will happen if, and you can fill in the blank. That's all that's needed for us to be fearful, to think what will happen if, but the answer for our fears is God himself. Do you notice that he makes us to lie down? Do you see that it is God who leads us? We're not leaning upon ourselves to find our own shelter. If we are left to our own devices to find our own field, to find our own still waters, then we are in trouble. But we are not called to do that. We cannot provide those things for ourselves. We are dependent upon the shepherd. And it is the shepherd's job to provide for the sheep. 
The sheep can be free from fear because he knows the shepherd is at work scanning the horizon for predators. We know that the shepherd is at work and we can be confident because our God is omniscient. He knows all things. Our God is vigilant. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. He is always on guard. So we can be confident that God is faithful and true. And we can sit back and we can enjoy the truth of the scripture where it says, Be still and know that I am God. But we rely on ourselves. So we forget that He is God. I like how Eugene Peterson translates that verse. He says, stop striving and experience God. Stop striving to come to those moments of rest just to rest in who He is. Do you notice it moves from God being the shepherd to what He does? There's no indication of what we do. You see this in Jesus. Matthew chapter 8, Jesus gets in a boat with the disciples. They're going across the Sea of Galilee and a storm arises. Now apparently this was not just a normal run-of-the-mill storm. The scripture says this was a great storm and these men were afraid. Now that ought to tell us something. Remember, a majority of the disciples were fishermen. They'd spent their lives on the Sea of Galilee. They knew storms. So if a fisherman who is an experienced sailor is scared, it tells you something out of the ordinary is happening. The boat's about to capsize. Where's Jesus? I thought I saw him go down in the hold. Peek down there. See what he's doing. We need his help. I see. Now this is just Mark Herod's imagination. One of the disciples peek and come back up and say, y'all ain't going to believe this. He's asleep. Go wake him up. You go wake him up. I'm not going to wake him up. We're going to die if you don't wake him up. Okay, I'll do it. Wouldn't you like to poke up Jesus to wake him up? Jesus. Yes, what? Save us. There's this storm. This storm. We're perishing. We're about to die. And Jesus says to them, why are you afraid? Oh, you have little faith. And then Jesus calms the storm and the winds stop. The waves cease their raging. There was great calm. Jesus is asleep in the storm because he knows his heavenly father's at work. We need to trust God. Reminded of the story of Tony and Lois Evans. Tony Evans, a pastor of Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship in Dallas, great author and preacher, tells of a time when he and his wife had gone on a cruise. And much like the ship the disciples were on, their cruise ship encountered a storm. And they, were, they could feel it. Everybody's in their cabins. And Lois Evans is a lady that's not just one to sit back and watch things happen passively. She says, I'm calling him. Tony says, who are you going to call? She says, I'm going to call the captain. So she picks up the phone in the cabin and says, I need to speak with the bridge. Just one moment, ma'am. Somebody answers on the bridge. Yes, ma'am, may I help you? She said, I want to know what that captain's doing to get us out of the storm. Somebody says, ma'am, I'll pass that along to the captain and we'll get back with you shortly. Thank you. All right, see that he does that. About 20 minutes later, the phone rings. Ma'am, this is the bridge. We passed your worries along to the captain and the captain wanted me to tell you, He has piloted ships through storms before. He's at the helm of this vessel. There's no need to worry. It's under control. Our captain is at the helm. Our captain will see us through. 
we need to be reminded he leads us in green pastures there's no need to fear and often the greatest fear that we have that we should have is what will happen after we die that's why in the book of 1st John it says he has cast out all fear because where there is love there is no fear of judgment no fear second thing that sheep need they need to be free from fear but they also need to be free from pest sheep need to be free from the insects that will often irritate them or get into their wool and keep them from resting so a good shepherd will alert, work to be sure the sheep are are clean and as free from pest as possible well, I believe we have a pest who seeks to destroy and distract and his name is Satan so we can know security because the power of Satan has been broken. Now, he still exists and he's still at work, but we need to be aware that even though he is present in this world, his power is limited. We need to be reminded that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And we need to cling to the truth that the cross we just sang about and in the resurrection, Satan is defeated because death was defeated. Therefore, we need not have any fear. Our Lord watches over us. Do you know that one of the disease, diseases of this world that causes the most problems is one we don't think of in America. It's malaria. World Health Organization estimates that between 300 to 500 million cases of malaria occur every year. And an estimated 1 million people die every year from malaria. Now, malaria is caused by mosquito bites. Do you know there's a simple solution? A $2 mosquito net covering a bed will cut down on the deaths caused by malaria and even the spread of malaria significantly. A $2 net to cover in protection, to keep away the pest. You and I, church, are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. We need not fear anything the enemy would want to do to us because God is sovereign and he has covered us and he has said that we are his. And the spirit is at work within us. So not only outwardly is God watching over us, but inwardly his spirit convicts and drives us to righteousness so that we do not give in to the temptations of our flesh that the enemy preys upon. So we see we are free from fear, we are free from pest, and we are free from hunger. A sheep needs to be free from hunger. Now you and I know when we're hungry, we don't sleep well. A hungry soul will not rest well. God provides at a deeper level than physical hunger. Psalm 43.10 says, Young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. The pasture is a place of feeding. And if God is our pasture, then he knows that as we abide and dwell in him, we will find what our souls hunger for. If our souls hunger for peace, we find it in God. If our souls hunger for love, we find it in him. Everything else of this world is a cheap substitute. It's not as filling and it won't last. Earlier this week, I was sitting with Emma while my wife Jody and daughter Ellen went to the grocery store. One of the things that I get excited about as we move into the fall of the year is that eggnog appears on the shelves. Now, I grew up, Dad would make eggnog shakes with vanilla ice cream, a little nutmeg, and oh my goodness. Well, they found eggnog available, and they came home with some eggnog. Organic, low-fat eggnog.
It's an abomination. <laughs> now I understand I need to eat healthier and I know that it's probably good for me. But once a year, it's the real stuff. Get the eggnog. <laughs> Don't settle for a substitute. Settle for that which is rich, that feeds us. How do we... How do we experience this? Well, it's the work of God. So the question is not how do we experience it, but are we following the leadership of God? That's what it comes down to. God's provided what we need to be free from fear, free from pest, free from hunger. He's provided us himself. The thing is, we won't know the peace, love, joy, patience, all those things apart from Christ. Up on the screen, you'll see John 10, 9. We can pull that up. I think we're hitting a glitch. Jesus said in John 10, 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and look at the last three words and find pasture. Now follow my thinking here. God is our pasture. He nourishes us. He is our peace. And Jesus is saying the only way to find God is by him. So we got to start there. If what I've spoken of this morning resonates with you and you think, I want that, I want to know serenity, I want peace and joy, it's got to start with Jesus. Apart from Him, we cannot know God. We cannot know who He is. So that's the first thing. Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Repenting of sin and saying, I will follow you. Because in you, Jesus, is the only way I can be saved from my sins. Now the question comes afterward. This question is directed toward believers. Believers, are you abiding in Him? He makes us lie down. He leads us. But are we fighting His leadership by not seeking Him? As He leads us by His Word, are we rebelling against Him? Are we filling our minds with things that, that will cause anxiety? Isaiah 26.3 says this, God will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is focused on God because he trusts in God. So are you taking that time to abide? To graze in the pasture? To know God? I'm convinced the majority of spiritual warfare takes place in our minds. So we need to take thoughts captive to Jesus. When fear starts to arise, to say no. I don't have to be afraid because my shepherd is leading me to green pastures. Because deep down we hunger for that. In the world of country music, there are many icons. One of the great luminaries of what's considered classic country is a man by the name of Merle Haggard. His accolades in the world of music stand on their own. Over a dozen number one hits, 38 number one singles. But his life was one of very great difficulty. He was married five times. Spent time in San Quentin prison. And before his death in 2016, he said these words, and I quote, There is a restlessness in my soul that I've never conquered. Not with motion, marriages, or meaning. It's still there to a degree and probably will be until the day I die. Those words are sad. To have a restlessness that you just resolve, 
just going to be there. Our good shepherd says it doesn't have to be that way. So this morning I ask you, will you, will you follow the shepherd? Will you take him at his word? I don't know the circumstances you're in. But I know like many people, the common thread that I hear is busy. Life is hectic. So I ask you today, would you commit to say, Lord, I want to know these green pastures. Lead me beside the still waters. I want to ask you to bow your head. Nathan and I are going to be here at the front. I ask you just for a few moments to take stock. What characterizes your life? Is it the peace of God or the anxiety of this world? Have you accepted worry and fear as just the way things are? It doesn't have to be that way. For some of you, the Lord is speaking to you right now. The Holy Spirit is bringing conviction. Because the Lord is leading you toward the green path. He's leading you toward still waters. But you're still clinging to things outside of the pasture. You're still holding on to cheap imitations. For some of you, it may be fear. You're actually afraid of the shepherd. You're not sure what that will entail. I would remind you, our good shepherd died for us. And he rose from the dead. He has what is good and glorious. Glory for his name in our lives. So this morning when we begin to sing, believer, if your heart is heavy and you just want to come and kneel at this kneeling bench and pray, it's open for you to do that. Some of you may have never committed to follow Jesus Christ. And there are questions that you have about what that means. What does it mean when Jesus says, I am the gate? What does it mean to enter by him? And if you have those questions, I would ask you to do something bold. When we begin to sing, if you would come forward and take me or Pastor Nathan by the hand and just say, I want to know what that means. I want to know what it means to follow Jesus. We'll be glad to do our best to explain that. I'm going to lead us in a prayer right now.